0: Hello and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. On this week's episode, we've got expedition guide, adventure consultant, and adventure instructor Ben Shillington coming on to talk about a new guided bikepacking trip from TDA Global Cycling. As we've talked about more and more bikepacking and adventure riding on your gravel bike on the podcast, I thought this was a great extension and a really cool concept I hadn't seen elsewhere, the idea of a guided bikepacking expedition. We'll get into all the details about the 12-day trip and what it entails, But before we jump in, just a quick thank you to everybody who's been visiting buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Your financial support for the podcast means the world to me, and it keeps me eager to find new guests to keep you on your gravel cycling journey, just as I continue to be on mine. You may have gathered from some of my comments on the podcast over the last few years that I'm a big fan of adventure. That includes adventures both on and off the bike. Which is why I was super stoked to talk to Ben. Ben's been in big mountains all over the world, both as a mountaineer, a guide, and a cyclist. With all that said, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben, and let's dive right in. Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Craig. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate, appreciate your time and looking forward to uh, chatting with you.
0: It's been a growing trend on the podcast over, throughout the pandemic to be talking more and more about adventures you can have on the bicycle and on a gravel bicycle. So I was excited when the team at TDA Cycling reached out to me and informed me about the new guided bike packing trip that they're offering this year. We'll definitely get into the details about that, but I'd love for you to give the listener a little bit of your background. It's so diverse as an adventurer that I think it's relevant to the trip and just the experience that gravel cyclists will tend to have when they go out on their first bikepacking expedition.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess without giving a full CV, I've had the opportunity and pleasure to work full time in the adventure guiding industry. So I started professionally making money when I was 18. So I've been guiding and instructing in a variety of different fields from obviously cycle touring and bikepacking, mountaineering and trekking, polar style trips, winter camping, so on and so forth. So I've been able to i have had the opportunity to travel all over the world leading expeditions or guiding on expeditions at least and instructing and uh, educating folks in a variety of different skill sets yeah over the last 2 decades
0: yeah i think that's so interesting bringing that broader adventure guide and instructor mentality to cycling i think most of us we get a bike as a child and we learn to ride it and as we become passionate about cycling we just ride further afield and get off road etc but it's not often we think about the need for guidance or instruction, mm-hmm. whereas in other sports, certainly mountaineering, getting a mentor and getting guidance and instruction is so critical to your own personal safety and your ability to tackle more adventurous mountains and situations. It's great to see that philosophy come into cycling via TDA cycling.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. And as you mentioned there at the top of this, that uh, this is a new, I guess, uh, avenue or a new venture for TDA Global Cycling. So TDA has been guiding cycling trips all over the world and pretty spicy ones. And uh, as far as adventure goes, and getting into some areas that you may not be may not be first on your bucket list to think about doing something like that yourself. But the whole concept of the bike packing is to bring a little bit of an educational as well as experiential kind of option to the table where folks can come out on this trip and although we're providing some security and we're as far as some amenities and backup so on and so forth we're also able to give some skills at the same time so that folks may feel a little bit more empowered or a little bit more confident on going out and doing their own maybe backyard adventures and and as they build those skills and that confidence maybe take that a little bit farther on their own. Yeah
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So stepping back for a second about TDA cycling, I, I, since it was a, I almost say it was a bit of an understatement to, t- to speak to how crazy these trips are that they've put together. I know you mentioned to me offline that you guided a three and a half month long Silk Road bikepacking yeah. trip for the company.
1: I did, yeah. And that was uh, that was my first trip that I did uh, with TDA. And uh, it, was, it was quite the experience, especially as uh, leading that trip and guiding on that trip. Yeah, so it was a multi-month, three and a half months, I think, pretty close. And uh, we rode from Istanbul, Turkey, to Beijing, China. So I think that would be, what, seven or eight uh, countries that we specifically rode through across the way. So you can imagine uh, a variety of different borders to cross, a lot of different cultures to encounter, quite a few stories. Uh, because although you have a plan and a backup plan. There's a lot of unforeseen little adventures that can arise on the way. We camped, I'd say, probably 75% of the way. And as I had mentioned before, probably say about 25% of that would be in what you may call a hotel <laughs> yeah, especially as we got a little bit farther east in the more populated eastern side of China crossing the Caspian Sea being I wouldn't say stranded but I guess stranded on on a Russian barge across the Caspian Sea to hitchhike and some equipment across the the mountains from Kyrgyzstan into China and bypassing a, a war and a whole bunch of intermittent little uh, surprises along the way were a couple of the a couple of the adventurous parts of that particular expedition with TDA
0: sounds amazing when I think of bicycle tour companies I think of the typical we're going to take you to the Alps or the Mm -hmm. Pyrenees in France and a week-long cycling trip so to learn about a company that is doing not only multi-week but multi-month trips it's pretty amazing to check out
1: yeah, for sure, and and as you mentioned, it's these are bike pack, or cycling expeditions, really, because although there's an A to B, there's no real guarantees. But the the skill set that TDA and primary staff have for keeping the thumb on the pulse and knowing what's going on internationally and having communications, and these guys are experts at logistics and problem solving, and it's just amazing. Anytime that I do get the opportunity to work with these guys, they can make pretty much anything happen and and deal with things in such a calm and manner that, you know, even as a a professional guide, and I've worked in a whole bunch of different genres, there's always something to learn with how these guys are able to choreograph and really have these successful trips going through these amazing areas that uh, you may not have otherwise thought you could even expose yourself to.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely both an art and a science to bringing a group through some of these countries, even like landing in the airport and figuring out how to get your gear together and how to get the right porter or the right car, having someone in the background just handling those logistics can make something that's still truly going to be an epic adventure that's going to push your personal limits just a little bit easier and, and frankly, a little bit safer to pull off.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the individual still has to have their head in the game to make it through whatever that day's offering is. But like we keep mentioning, some of those really off the beat challenges that may come in that we don't have that your average lady or gentleman wouldn't have experience with that we can take care of.
0: As someone who's approaching guiding that three and a half month trip with clients, was there a criteria or communication with the client in advance to make sure that they were prepared physically and mentally for that type of trip
1: yeah so for most of these tda trips and especially these longer ones and moving into the bike packing one there's a lot of communication that comes ahead so that people understand what they're signing up for want to make sure that the experience that they're signing up for is is what they are actually considering sometimes things might look different on a web page or in a description than what you have in your own mind so the communications through email phone conversations happen way ahead of time and then there's a bit of consulting so on these other the classic tda tours there's bulletins that go out bike checks medicals gear packing request sheets or even mandatory like on some of these trips if we go back the silk route right you could only bring these two size bags and if it didn't fit you weren't allowed to bring it on you had to have these x amount of spare parts and nothing extra so on and so forth because the environment is changing so much that uh, you can't be overburdened so being selective with what you have but making sure that folks bring the right things with them especially if there's no opportunity or limited opportunity to top up on those supplies so yeah a lot of work goes in to uh, getting people to um, buy into the trip objective and, and be as ready as possible for day one starting out on some of these bigger journeys
0: Was your experience that the relative fitness level of the clients made it so that it was a kind of simpatico team or did you have outliers one way or the other?
1: No, there's a suggested level of fitness or strength or fitness would probably the right word. But no, it varies across the board. In my experiences with the trips that I've ran with TDA specifically. You set that kind of expectation so people know physically what they're getting themselves into. And traditionally, just because of the longevity and the amount of organization people have on their end to prepare to depart or leave their lives behind for a month or three months, that general conditioning is there. And we hear it often, sounds cliche, Maybe, but it's it's so much more in your mind than it is in your body. That if you ride with the the right headspace, or you can keep your head in the right headspace, the body is going to catch up eventually. So the spread across the day on these trips is we're not particularly riding in a solid group where everybody has to maintain a minimal pace. There's a briefing in the morning. There's a a general layout of the description of the route and the directions. And as obviously as times moved on, it's went into you being able to have GPX files. But it's always good to pair that up with a map, and people can just unfold as they see fit and they'll check in at a particular lunch point throughout the day. So whether that ride day is 100 or 190 kilometers or a particular spot where they'll check in for some food, they'll need to arrive in camp, there's always a sweep rider and depending on the trip there will be an emergency vehicle out there. Even though these clients will be spread out over tens or maybe half, maybe 50 kilometers worth of terrain. We always kind of got an eye on where everybody is and they can just roll in at their own leisure because the whole objective of a lot of these trips is to connect people with the region that you're traveling in. And the beauty of the bike is being able to move swiftly and efficiently, but also you can slow down and you can get off to check anything out that you see or have those personal encounters and just be in the moment. Yeah, Absolutely. It makes it so special. and, I think part of getting out there in
0: nature often is experiencing a little solitude and a little time by yourself. So doing that in a foreign country and as you said, to be able to experience the community and the food at your own pace is really nice benefits and really adds to that spirit of adventure, I imagine.
1: Yeah. And, and everybody has their own objective, right? So they might sign up to bike from Istanbul to Beijing, but you might be a history buff or maybe you might be a fitness buff and you want to crush those miles as hard and fast as you can every single day because that's your goal. Maybe you might be into food or photography, being able to give folks a bit of a heads up on what they may encounter and how they may get the most out of that experience. Uh, then as long as they're not in a, a major time restriction, everybody can take that day in as they see fit.
0: Yeah. We could continue to talk about the Silk Road all day because it's an area that I'm personally fascinated in. And I've, I've seen some of the bikepacking events over in that region. It looks stunning. It looks rugged. It looks remote. It just looks like the place that any adventurer would dream of going.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Transitioning over to the bikepacking Quebec trip that's on the calendar for this year. Let's talk about some of the details where it starts and stops the dates And then we can get into kind of what the rider should experience and what you're looking to provide to them.
1: Sure, yeah. So the bike pack in Quebec, It's uh, well, it's in Quebec, the province of Quebec here in Canada, which is on the eastern side of the uh, country. It's uh, about a 15-day trip total that's with pre-post, and the uh, starting or the preparation day will happen on August the 14th, which would be a Saturday, so that'd be day one, stage zero. So we have two days of prep that's happening in Ottawa where we can come together, and uh, do a little bit of uh, equipment check, build up the bikes, just a overall shakedown and preparation because we'll be consulting uh, with the clients beforehand on helping them get the right gear, the right bike, have the right equipment with them, not too much, but not too little. If there's a, a couple gaps or a few little things that we need to fine-tune, then we'll have that opportunity in the city. It'll be a finished day on the 28th in Quebec City. So we're going from Ottawa to Quebec City. And uh, the route takes us over those two weeks. So it be two rest days in there to break things up, but it brings us up and around out of Ottawa through the Gatineau Park, getting up quite a bit north in the Laurentian Mountains and weaving back around down into Quebec City.
0: And does that cover a lot of elevation? Is there a lot of climbing in that region?
1: Yeah, and you were going to ask that being out in California. So in the, in the Laurentian Mountains here, we have got we don't have the long rise that you guys do or the run, sorry, but we have a repetitive run. So there's lots of steep climbs and descents, but just back to back. So throughout the Laurentians, you can get anywhere from 9% to 20% gradients. And on your average day, if I look at my layout here, I can tell you what some of the average day climbs are, but up to about 1,200 meters of climbing. On an average day for this particular route, okay. uh, yeah, nothing too crazy, but definitely some steep pitches. But it's more so being off of the beaten path as opposed to a cumulative elevation gain.
0: And as a, as a team of cyclists, are you out there on your own, or are there support systems, vans following you? What's the situation? for that
1: yeah so the situation and the the point that we're trying to sell or promote to folks is that uh, we're creating a real kind of self-sufficient opportunity to get out there on your bike so the bikes everyone will be loaded with everything that they need for sleeping for eating so uh, multi like a a fuel stove a solo self-supported or freestanding tent your change of clothes snacks water uh, purification so on and so forth so there will be a emergency four-wheel drive vehicle in the ether that will have access in the event that there's an emergency, but there's no lag wagon per se or anything that's meeting us from point to point. So when we roll out in the morning collectively as a group, folks will have a GPX uh, file I'll do a morning trip briefing to let folks know here's what the terrain is looking like. If there are any amenities to to see to stop at along the way, there are going to be several days where there are no amenities. So that classic coffee shop or pastry top-up will not be available for portions of this ride. So we'll discuss that all out in the morning. And uh, so when we leave out, people will have a good sense of uh, the directions where they're going, what they may encounter, and one of us will be riding within the group and move around from front to back, keeping a physical check on everybody, but not being with everybody all at the same time. So when we do roll into camp in the evenings, everything will already be on the bike. We can roll in, we can set up, get cleaned up, and then progress with our afternoon and evening.
0: Nice. Will each athlete then have a complete bike packing setup? I think you referenced this, but I want to make that point clear. So each person would effectively be self-sufficient with their own food, their own ability to cook, their own ability to uh, purify water.
1: That's correct, yeah, that's correct. So we'll make sure, and that'll be a part of the pre-trip support that we're going to offer. So obviously everything is is via Zoom, and depending on where folks are coming in from, we're setting up a couple milestones ahead of the time so that we can review those bikes or help them make a choice with what they already have or what they may need to add to that setup. So depending on what their philosophy is for their own rig, the uh, bike pack, frame bags, so on and so forth that they might use, the equipment. And we definitely are going to consult and give some high suggestions on certain particular pieces of equipment that they come out with them when as far as their sleep systems go and for cooking yeah you're correct that when we roll out if we're on stage four and we're rolling out from Lac Ernest to mont tremblant and it's uh, 80 kilometer a day and 20 55 percent of that is dirt gravel and double track they have every single thing that they need on them let's say worst case scenario we had to stop midway and set up camp we could everything's right there it's not in the van or in or in the truck
0: Yeah, interesting. That type of advice is invaluable. I think in bikepacking, certainly editing is critical in terms of getting the right amount of gear, but not too much gear.
1: That's right, yeah. And that's it. And I think that's that's what we want to provide here. And this is the idea is that we talked about it's nice having that little bit of security or peace of mind that you have support with you. So whether that be an experienced guide that's out on the trail, whether he's 10 kilometers ahead of you or 20 kilometers behind that he or she is coming, understanding the system as a whole and being able to progress and get a little bit more efficient on packing that bike a little bit uh, so it's handier to get at the things that you need throughout the day being uh, quicker and more efficient at setting that tent up at night, how to stake things out so your tent is more breathable so that you're drier in the morning, how to manage your clothes, how to eat differently, when you should prep your water and why. So these are all the things that myself and the staff at TDA on this expedition are gonna be able to work with clients beforehand, but then also work with them throughout the trip. So it's a progression of knowledge and experience. When we go on through these systems every single day, and recalibrating. Everybody has their own philosophy, but we can help each individual fine-tune that philosophy, fine-tune those skills, and figure out how they may want to progress in the future if they were to do this uh, again on their own.
0: Yeah, it's so important. I think the modern bikepacking bag setup is so amazing, but it also involves cramming things in places, compressing things. And as you referenced Knowing where everything is and having a system in your own mind is so important because there's nothing worse than realizing you need something that's absolutely buried and inaccessible in your bike packing bags.
1: That's right. And when you have some lead time in, you can make some refinements. Sometimes you just, you have what you have and that's okay. And sometimes the decision, I find decision fatigue. I I teach cycle tour guiding courses for an outdoor adventure guide diploma program that I'm a full-time instructor for. And a lot of the stuff that we go through in these biking courses and even some of the other stuff is decision fatigue and often you have way more stuff than you actually need. So being able to look at that kind of objectively and saying, Hey, this doesn't kill two birds with one stone. So I don't really need it. And this can do a couple things here. So maybe I'll keep that. And if I shift this up to this bag and, and bury this in the bottom, I don't have to think about sifting through that until we get into camp at night. And even though that's a mental energy expenditure, so we're looking at trying to be as efficient as possible. You can select a gear to be more efficient, you can breathe differently to be more efficient, but also just being able to quickly access some of those tools that you need throughout the day allows you to put more energy into the ride and being familiar with your surroundings as opposed to stressing about jamming things into the, to these places or having things that you really didn't need in the first place.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting with the modern day bike packing bags and being a fan of bike packing myself, looking at people who have done these big expeditions and seeing they only had a frame bag, a front roll and a seat bag. And if they managed (laughs) to get everything they needed for three months in that bag, clearly I can go for 48 hours and fit everything I need in. So if it doesn't fit in, it's clearly not needed.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I find for me anyways, I find it half the fun. Now I've packed for so many different types of trips and even if we just talk about bikes specifically and every time i think half the fun really is is preparing and uh, laying out all my stuff and kind of figuring out what's going to work just a little bit better this time and or how can i make that lighter or a little bit more convenient and uh, i've done many a night where everybody's in bed here at the house and i'm packing unpacking and and laying things out and just having fun (laughs) trying to to fine-tune
0: yeah, there's some personal satisfaction in pulling out a, a small item that takes your comfort to the next level when your peers have forgotten or hadn't thought about it.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. I agree. <laughs> <with that>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I remember my I went bike packing it up in Oregon on the Oregon Timber Trail, and I just decided I was going to bring an extra pair of warm gloves with me. And a few mornings where we got up to elevation, it was bitterly cold. And I had these essentially like skiing gloves with me that were the envy of my two expedition mates.
1: Oh, that's nice, eh? Yeah, <laughs> that's a feather in your cap there for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is probably the only feather I garnered in that trip because I was clearly the rookie and very uh, reliant on the other two for a number of the more critical details in life.
1: Yeah, safety and numbers, right? Exactly. I think that's
0: one of the things that made me keen about having this conversation and just this concept of this coached bikepacking expedition. Because as we talked about, obviously anybody can go out and have these adventures. It, it Go out for 24 hours. Any mistake you make is not going to be critical. You're going to get home fine and you'll learn a ton. But being able to have a coach to guide you into this 12-day-long experience I think is a super opportunity for someone who maybe doesn't have the bandwidth in their personal life to figure all these details out, but really wants to get out there and experience a true bike packing experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, it gives a bit of a, a kickstart, right? Because you can, everybody's got the capacity to learn on their own. But like you said, it, the bandwidth or the the, the time to, you got to learn by making a lot of mistakes. So how how I see, especially as I instruct and educate and run courses all the time is that you can really help people fast track and they'll still need to put the miles in to build the intuition, but being able to help them bypass some of the, the beginner mistakes or oversights, really not really mistakes so much, but just st- sometimes you just don't know what you don't know and if somebody else can help you buffer through that the potential is there to have faster and more time out on that bike and and on your own as well
0: yeah for me personally a couple of the things that have always created anxiety around bike packing and I do realize these are going to be region and route specific have been food and hydration and just making sure that I had an understanding of when my next resupply point might be for both water and food and managing that effectively. I find personally, I'm always very conservative. So I I end up carrying a lot of extra weight potentially on the bike because I'm fearful that next resupply point is not gonna come when I need it.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes it is better to be a little bit more conservative. And in the end, if you have to dump half a water bottle out or you got an extra bar or two, that's no problem. But there is a tipping point for sure. And and I think a lot of that, and this is what we want to go over with folks as well, is there's the, there's the whole – riding your bike from A to B. But there's everything before that, that route planning and deciding on why you might take this road as opposed to that road and how long you might think something might take. Because if you change the the elevation gain or the terrain that you're riding on, just because you ride at this pace in this terrain doesn't mean this is gonna work here. So where's that water gonna fall in? And do I need to carry that or is there an opportunity to get that from a, a lake or a river? And if so, how do I purify that? And the same thing with that caloric intake, right? We often think we need way more food than we do, but if we change the foods that we select and we put it in our body in a slow trickle, you often get more miles out of that. So it changes the bulk. So yeah, there's it's intimidating, but also fun as well, because there is so much to learn and you always get just a little bit better and a little bit more refined and you push that next trip just a touch more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the listeners and myself included may have come from a bike racing background where it was pretty easy to have eight power bars or the equivalent with you for an eight hour event. But in yep. bikepacking, it shifts because I find that if you're out there for multiple days, you don't want to be eating eight power bars or goos or cliff blocks like all day long, every day you, you really want to be fueling up on more natural foods and more things that you can cook and buy so it, it's it's an interesting shift for people and as you said definitely learning curve there
1: yeah and it's one thing i, I always use the reference that it's a game of chess when you can fake it for a, an overnight but when you're adding multiple nights on there's a snowball effect for every decision that you make when you're on you know stage one or two you got to think about stage eight and nine and yeah so some of those things change when you're adding duration to the big picture Yeah, I
0: think you're totally right. I imagine that also that statement applies to people's physical nature as well, because you can go out and you can hammer day one's climbs and crush everybody and put a lot of effort into it. But day two and three, those efforts are going to come back and haunt you. So it's important to measure out your physical efforts as well, I imagine.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly sure. And if you got enough daylight, you don't have to come too hot out of the gate. They play around with that, your gear selection and cadence and breathing and fueling. And you'd be surprised, like you can settle into what I just call that sweet spot. And if you're managing all those systems together, you can match your physiology and, and you can really take your body over those multiple days and get quite comfortable and adapt relatively relatively easily per se if you're taking a look at all those different avenues right down even to, to sleep your sleep patterns and stuff at night and rest so yeah i always encourage people to get out there on multi-day
0: experiences because there's something absolutely liberating in in this modern society where we've got so many responsibilities and we're always on and always connected when you realize you're on a 12-day bike packing trip and literally the only thing you need to do all day is pedal your bike it's just yeah. it's such an amazing and freeing experience
1: yeah, it's back to the basics, or I call it active meditation is something I use to describe that. And I, I think people don't often give themselves enough credit or just don't. Some Sometimes people just need a little bit of a confidence boost to say, hey, you can do a lot more than you're probably giving yourself credit for. So if you can just kind of have a little bit of taste of that success, whatever you define success to be, it's, it sets the ball in motion or it's exponential for the next challenge that you may try to tackle.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the final things I wanted to talk about is when loading a bike fully for a bike packing expedition, obviously you're putting a lot more weight on the bike and experience has shown and certainly stories have been told about how bike mechanicals are probably more likely to happen than on your daily tours. Can you talk about how you guys address that and what type of coaching you provide and what type of extra parts you encourage people to bring out on these bike packing trips?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So I always think proactive instead of reactive. And uh, when I say that, it's more, one, really knowing your bike, having it fine-tuned, whether it's by yourself or your local mechanic, to make sure every part of that bike from the integrity of the frame to how good your sidewalls on the tires that you're choosing to use, fresh cables, there's no leaks if you're running hydraulic brakes, the drivetrain is fresh, right? So if you're on the cusp of any of that, you want to take that out of the equation, right? So you start off with a peace of mind, not fingers crossed. I always want people not to have fingers crossed uh, as far as that goes. So when you're coming in with all those avenues of your bike taken care of, bearings as well, the wheels being trued, so on and so forth. So we have a list of you know recommendations for what should be certified or, or checked off by yourself or your mechanic. So that would be number one, being proactive instead of reactive. And then the reactivity in the field, that's what we want to give folks as well. We'll do little modules in the field on some people just – Don't know how to take that rear wheel off of their bike because it's quite intimidating dealing with those gears and the chainsaw and so forth. So we'll show people how to remove those wheels, put them back on, how to replace a derailleur hanger. That would be something that's going to be in your kit. Some innovative trail side repairs that you can deal with if you do blow a derailleur apart. But I always do to bring one spare derailleur with me depending on the duration or the accessibility because as you're probably aware you can single speed or kind of jimmy rig that derailleur to to get you to the end of the day but you don't want to be riding multiple days with a rickety single speed hack but also how to splice a chain so if you have to take a couple big chunks out of there and and you're out of master links how can you use that tool and, and splice that chain and Lock out the limit screws on your rear derailleur so you don't accidentally shift into something that's going to stretch the rest of it out. So a a lot of those things we're going to go through in the field with folks. So we will have a suggested tool list and a minimal spare parts list and really focus on proactively keeping an eye on that bike in the morning and at nighttime. So doing pre and post ride full bike inspections before doing the day's ride.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. I think out there on the trail, necessity is the mother of invention, they say, and people do all kinds of creative things to get their bike through the day or to the town where they can get a repair done. It's fascinating, but you do need to have a minimum set of gear and supplies and skills to even get that far.
1: Yeah. And, and that's when I look at it too, a lot of times, like when you're rolling out and everything's dialed in correctly and, and there's no fingers crossed and the bags are packed and they're clipped on and secured and, and you know how everything's going. Often your three key breakdowns is going to be a broken chain. And that's typically if it's getting really mucky or you make a bad choice shifting under pressure, those things can happen, but they're Typically, there's a reason for that happening. A flat tire, so if it goes beyond tire pressure, depending on if you're running tubeless or tube, it's a puncture and that happens and that's not a big deal. Anything outside of that typically is bike trauma it's typically a bike trauma thing so even just rethinking the way that we ride and how we're descending some of these hills or how we're approaching some of this terrain may change that potential for those breakdowns just reeling things back a little bit if we're on day six of a 12-day trip if you're on a one day you might ride this terrain this way but to be on reserve for potential bike trauma maybe we'll cut things back a little bit for longevity
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely great advice and tracks to my personal experience where you're going back to that additional weight on the bike. Once you start pointing it downhill, you start to have those fun flavors and you want to hop off of things, but then you realize you're not only hopping your normal bike with you on it, but you've got an extra 20 pounds that are slamming every time you come back down to the ground. It's probably not the best idea in the middle of a big trip.
1: That's right. Yeah, you got to think big picture. (laughs) Yeah.
0: This is a lot of fun, Ben. Are there any like key takeaways? I know we've covered a ton of them already, but are are there anything you want to leave the listener with who might be approaching their first bikepacking trip?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we did kick on a few, but I think, I don't know, probably one was just make do with what you have. I think it's, it's pretty easy nowadays to get wrapped up in wheel sizes and bike frame geometry and bags and this, that, and the other thing. We often don't realize that some of the stuff that we have at home for clothes and, and, and equipment and the bike that we have, maybe put a couple bucks into to, to swap out a tire or something like that but just make do with what you have and, and get out there because if you get out there just for your first 24 hour ride or even one big day ride where you do have to pack a substantial amount of food and, and have a, a half decent repair kit and come home and sleep at night I mean that that's all skill building and that's just going to progress into more miles and more confidence
0: yeah that's great I, I love that underlying theme that we continue to revisit on the gravel ride podcast it's just Get out there and do it. I think that's one. That's part of the magic of these new off-road capable bikes that we have. It's just you can get out there. You can create very clever routes that bring you places that you've never been before. And as you said before, your body and mind are capable of a lot more than most people think that that they are capable for. So just get out there and get after it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, certainly. And if you want a couple more tips, I'd discuss that layout and eliminate. That's another one. If you're going to pursue something, maybe your first overnight, you, you often don't need half as much as you think. And I think you always need to have a coffee plan.
0: <laughs> Probably a good tip, Ben. Right on. I appreciate the time. I'm excited for you guys to kick off this first trip in August this year out of Quebec. And I will put links to it in the show notes so everybody can find the trip and they can find you.
1: That's great. Well, thanks so much for your time there, Craig. It was uh, nice chatting with you.
0: Cheers. Big thanks to Ben for joining the podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed learning about that guided bike packing expedition they'll be hosting later this year. It sounds like a fun concept to me. I often have benefited from having a little bit of expert guidance when I've tried new things to just take the edge off. And what I love, it's not just a weekend trip. It's a true 12-day expedition that they've put together. So I really love that concept, and I think it's going to be a fantastic addition to the gravel cycling calendar every year. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. I appreciate you joining us. I hope you're having a great week and finding some time out on the bike. If you're interested in getting in touch with us, please visit www.theridership.com. It's our free global cycling community. I love to hear feedback and I'm getting many ideas for future episodes directly from the forums and from all you members out there. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.